Welcome to NAI Global's podcast series. Today's topic is the interworkings of corporate services in commercial real estate. I'm your host, Simon Hartzell, Global Director of New Offices. And our guest today is Joe Howell. He is the Executive Vice President and Managing Director with NAI Global Corporate Solutions. Joe possesses more than 15 years of experience across multi-disciplines within commercial real estate industry. He has extensive experience in multi-market relationships, account management, site selection, development, transaction, and portfolio management. Joe's deal experience exceeds $1 billion in aggregated transaction value, and he is recognized as one of the top leaders in the corporate real estate arena. Joe, welcome to today's podcast. It's a pleasure, Simon. Thanks a bunch for having me. So let's jump right into it, Joe. In your opinion, how do you define corporate services? I think it's a great question and something that um, is a great, <laughs> great question and great way to start. So our definition is probably maybe different from other people's. I think when people hear that word, they think of a number of different services and a lot of bells and whistles and, you know, they hear the word dashboard and software and that type of thing. I'll tell you, the reality is like, like most industries and like most business, um, nothing's quite what you think, number one. And number two, it's really just rolling up your sleeves and, and getting a deal done. So from our perspective, corporate services means handling corporate leased and owned real estate portfolio Primarily what we do is in North America. So, for example, uh, our largest client by volume has approximately 300 lease locations throughout North America. So we're transacting and acting as an outsourced real estate group to them on the transaction management and lease administration site only. We, If we need facilities management, if we need project management, so that's FM and PM, we would outsource that, outsource that on a one-off basis based on the need, based on the market. So primarily, our definition is strictly transaction management, lease administration. But again, we run opinion of values. We run analysis for our clients. We do certainly other things, but the lion's share is transaction management, lease administration. And transaction management, of course, is where we make our money. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's great and, and very concise and to the point because I think a lot of, like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of mixed definitions, so you, you kind of – hit the nail on the head with giving it a concise kind of definition. So uh, curious to know at, at, at kind of the high level, what's, what's your background and how has been your experience within the, the NAI Global Network? Sure. So my background, so I have a business partner, Brett Spitzer. Most people that are listening probably know Brett as well. Um, my, I'll start with myself and then give you a little bit about him who couldn't make it today, but my background is I started off straight out of college uh, with a national developer and contractor, basically had a phone and a Rolodex and called the Fortune 1000 and tried to get them to let me find a site and build them a building and lease it back so that we could create equity. Then we were a merchant developer, so we'd flip it out to the capital markets. That was back from 2001 all the way to 2006. Um, I switched in 2006 to another uh, privately held national developer contractor who specialized in cold storage. 
And so literally did the exact same thing just in school, cold storage, much more specialized, a lot more expensive of a building, kind of a, a niche uh, market, if you will. And then realized that in both those firms, um, you know, I wasn't really my own boss. I wasn't able to do some of the things. I'd go out and create relationships, if you will, and I lose. I use the word relationship loosely. I would create opportunities, probably a better way to say it, and then the ownership may squash it for whatever reason. So my wife and I in 2007 decided, hey, what a wonderful time to go 100% commission with three little kids and jump into commercial real estate. So we did that. <laughs> is there we ever had a been, perfect time? It was, it was, no, and actually, you know, I, I would tell you in, in hindsight it was a wonderful time because as we all experienced when the sky is falling, people actually do make changes. You know, when times are good, not a lot of people make changes. They made changes there. So um, anyways, honestly, came to NAI by accident. I had been recruited by CB, Cushwake, was looking at Cushwake, and a friend of mine was a local partner at, at a NAI office and was wanting to get his opinion and realized I hadn't even talked to him, so I was a little embarrassed. And long story short, realized NAI offered everything that I wanted, but I did not want to have to report to anybody. I wanted unlimited income upside. I wanted that autonomy. I wanted that entrepreneurship. And NAI had all that. And oh, by the way, I could go sell like we're a big global, concise, you know, corporate organization um, to to what, which is exactly what I had been doing. So for my first, you know, seven years in the business, that's all I had been doing. And here was an opportunity to again, create my own business, but yet have the perception that we're this big, bad global organization, and it's worked out very well. I'll tell you real quick, Brett's background is he kind of had a similar path, went to corporate America, went straight from college to Eli Lilly and Company, which was a Fortune 100 company, and he was in our international finance department, traveled around the world, auditing all their different business units. So he has a very um, depth of, of financial analysis background. I bring the business development side, and so we ended up sharing an office at the local NA office that we were both at and teamed up that way, and the rest has um, proven to be uh, wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good synergy being able to kind of springboard off of one another and have certain strengths, weaknesses, and be able to identify those. It works out nice. Joe, how has NAI helped your business? It's a great question. So I think if I'm some of the listeners, what I'd want to hear is, you know, how has NAI helped put more money in my pocket? And the way it's done that for me is, as I alluded to before, unlimited upside. So, for example, most NAI member firms that we know of, um, their commission structure is substantially more advantageous than the big three, and, and I say the big three, CB, Jones-Lang, Cushwake. That's been significant, and, and let me explain that in, in my arena. So 100% of what we do is, again, going back to that national and international transaction management lease administration, what we call corporate solutions work, and so a competitive advantage we have is twofold at NAI. Um, obviously, you've got to play to your strengths. So one of NAI's strengths is our coverage. I mean, the dot on the map, we have as much, as many, I should say, global North American locations as the large commercial from the world, which is C.B. Richard Ellis. 
and they're a $12 billion publicly traded entity, and we don't consider them, honestly, as a competitor. I know some of the local offices would when they're competing in landlord listings or some local tenant representation, but in our arena, we don't consider them. They're so drastically bigger and different. can't possibly provide the level of service we can on a certain scale. And what I mean by that is, and this goes back to my original comment on pay structure and putting more money in your pocket, the metrics in our world are a senior broker at the big three, they are not allowed to work on anything under, call it 35,000 square foot of industrial deal or an 8,000 square foot office deal. And it's simple math. If you run the numbers on a 35,000 square foot industrial deal and you take $6 a square foot in rent, like take an average of four-year lease term, could have some five-year, could have some seven, and some threes, and you run the numbers on the commission of a 3%, and that's a new deal, and the amount of hours they have into it, they have to make a minimum of $350 an hour. And when you run that math, generally after the house takes 50% off the top, those senior brokers have a team of at least three or four. And so the metric is that the senior broker nets to him or herself about 10% of that transaction. And so anything under 35,000 square feet, and I would argue it's even more, um, they can't justify it. So my point is you get a junior broker who's a year, two years out of college, maybe has never done a deal outside of their local market, and the level of service really falls off. And that's a major competitive advantage. And when we walk those metrics with a buyer, it resonates with them because they've experienced the, the lack of service on the smaller transaction. And we all know that the smaller transaction can get you in trouble. Um, those are the ones that you're dealing with a one-off landlord or maybe an unsophisticated regional landlord, a lot harder to get paid. Um, you know, the local manager facility can really cause a stink if it doesn't go right. So just a lot of, it's a lot of hand-holding, quite frankly, but obviously we can afford to make it. So in, in an AI, because our split structure is so preferential, you know, we can afford to put a senior broker on that small transaction and make the same amount as a CB, a JLL, or a Cush Wakewood on a 50,000-square-foot transaction. And on the office side, it's the same thing. The metric there is about seven to 8,000 square feet of office space. So, for example, a lot of our clients, the average size of their their uh, industrial space is 20,000 feet. So again, under that 35,000 square foot metric, uh, the average office space is probably 5,000 square feet under the 8,000. Certainly, Simon, we have clients that have much larger spaces. Absolutely, we've taken those bu that business from a Jones Lang. But generally speaking, and to make my point, we can work on smaller transactions, provide a better level of service, and make the same, if not more, money than the CBJL and uh, Cushwake. Well, I, I, I really like and enjoy hearing that you map that out for the client. You go over that with the client and, and really not for the, the purpose of telling them what you make, which it, it probably doesn't hurt, but more for the ability to help and service the client, which yep. I think is a great approach to saying, hey, we're laying all our cards on the table. This is how the business works, and this is the – getting the level of service that you're going to get from us compared to possibly a competitor. So that's interesting. Right. Okay, good. Right. We, we like to figure it just accomplishes a couple of things in one fell swoop. One is transparency, which I don't know anybody that doesn't appreciate transparency, especially when they're dealing with a broker, um, because in our, in our opinion, because every deal we do is an outbound deal, so we interact with a lot of different brokers from a lot of different shops. So, so here's what, when we go in, to present ourselves and try and win new business, 
you know, we have to realize that it's the 90-10 rule. So as I had alluded to earlier, Simon, every transaction we do, we're, we're interacting with a, a local broker in a number of different markets all throughout North America and the world. The point is we've experienced that 90-10 rule. So a lot of folks say it's 80-20. We think it's 90-10, meaning 10% of the business is done by, I'm sorry, 90% of the business is done by 10% of the brokerage population. So what that means to us is every time we go in to present ourselves and win new business, the rule of thumb should be the buyer who we're talking to, out of 10 brokers, they've interacted with nine that are just okay or mediocre or haven't done what they said they're going to do. So off the bat, there's a bad taste in their mouth that, okay, here I go again. Here's just another one that's going to tell me something and not deliver on it. And so part of that um, killing two birds with one stone with our, our presentation with the metrics is you're, you're being very transparent. So off the bat, you're easing their pain, if you will, or their trepidation that, oh, my goodness, these guys are telling me exactly how they're paid. They're walking through the metrics. I understand it. It makes sense. Oh, by the way, there's an aha moment where they say, that's why I haven't begun the level of service. You're absolutely right. The senior broker wasn't involved in that transaction. They may have been CC'd on an email, but I didn't talk to them on the phone, right? So it's a, it's a nice um, – and, and we usually do that on the first third of any sort of meeting, quite frankly, because it just flushes out, again, that trepidation and, um, and gives them transparency. Well, I, I hope you're not giving away any 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 company secrets there, Joe. But I think it's a great I think it's a great point. I mean, all joking aside, I I really think that that you you lay all the cards on the table and you win you you win that trust from your client more than more than anything. Yeah, I'd say it's it's amazing. So many of us, because it's our nature in the brokerage world, right? That that we we have some trade secrets that nobody else knows about. Well, the reality is that's not the case at all. Again, if I go back to the 9010 rule, you'll find when you interact with Brett and I, we'll, we'll tell you about anything you want to know. And it goes back to because 90% of the time, nobody's going to do anything about it, right? So it's it's mm -hmm. just human nature. They don't. People talk about they they want to see whatever. I mean, we'll show you our client list. I'm happy to give out names. But the reality is um, the more transparent we are, the more real we are. And it's funny, Simon, to that point, the amount of business we've won, and they've never once asked for a reference. They've never once asked for a case study. They've never once asked for anything. I'm telling you, every one of our accounts have never once asked for that. The ones that do never call them and rarely never make a change from their current provider or their current process. It's very interesting. It is, and 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 it it kind of shows the level of professional credibility and even personal credibility that you deliver to to each of your clients. So it's it's nice. One thing I I hear from that last discussion or 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 question, Joe, is that you mentioned kind of the the small and middle market size transactions, the ones that a senior broker at a at a competitor isn't going to go after, but in a lot of our NAI offices, markets, and, and even throughout North America, these small to middle market companies are are very prevalent, and there's a lot of a lot more of right. that opportunity for right. a group like yourself or even our uh, even our local offices. How would you 
from your your perspective, how would you develop some of those re relationships? And again, I use that 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 loose word, but how would you how would sure. you even target or or maybe try to go after some of that? Well, number one, I think it's a great question. So that's what we've targeted, right? So everybody knows who Apple is, everybody knows who Cisco is, and everybody's calling on them. Um, but who's calling on a company called Finish Master out of Indianapolis, Indiana, who has 300 lease locations, who creates a wonderful revenue stream for us on an annual basis? Who's calling on overhead garage door out of Dallas, Texas? You know, it's those types of companies, to your point, that what we call mid-cap or even small-cap company, privately held, publicly traded, that gets overlooked, quite frankly. And a lot of them, to your point, Simon, are in the secondary and tertiary market. And that's where we've played very well and been very successful for two reasons. One is most of the time an NA office is prevalent there. So from a branding perspective, that buyer has seen an NAI sign. Um, but then number two, if it's a tertiary market, most of the time if NAI is there, we're the only shop in town. And so again, it's that branding. Um, I would yeah. tell you as well that the, the big three, you know, the senior broker who's in LA or Manhattan or Dallas, you know, they don't enjoy getting on an airplane and flying to Springfield, Missouri. That's no fun. That's not sexy. Excuse my <laughs> vernacular, but it's not. And so um, we're happy to do that because, again, we do have offices in that market generally. I mean, for example, we have a client out of Springfield, Missouri who's been a wonderful client. We do, you know, build a suit site selection, build a suit transactions all over the country for them, and they're, you know, a minimum of 300 to 600,000 square feet. Those are wonderful deals. Um, my point is Springfield, Missouri, if I recall, Simon, to your credit, I think you just signed up a new office there for us. Yep, we definitely did, NAI Enterprise. Yeah. Right, and so that's an example of now, you know, we were fortunate enough to get that client before that, but now that just reinforces to that client that, oh, my gosh, NAI is in my market now, right? It's just another branding. So um, that's that's the front end of how it helps us on my end how do I help NA Enterprise by example in their local market or how can they help themselves is just identify the people within a you know 50 mile radius of your town that and, and really I think people need to understand is how you're going to make money right that's what we all care about so what we look at is a manufacturer although they may be a big name probably not a lot of money to be made there unless they want to dispose of an asset and most of the time those assets are environmentally challenged, they're old and antiquated. I mean, it's just a nasty deal. A lot of work, not a lot of pay. So what we look for is clients that have at a minimum of 25 lease locations. And again, if you're in a local office, go for 10. But the lease transaction is an annuity, right? So again, they're going to do a three-year lease renewal. They're going to do a five-year lease deal. So for the metric in our business is, 20% of the leases are going to come up for renewal every year. So, for example, if there's 100 lease locations, you're going to average 20 deals a year with that client. 20 deals a year times take the average rent. Let's just say it's uh, 10,000 square feet of flex. I don't have my calculator because I'm not that smart, Simon. Uh, that's Brett's role here. As I mentioned, the finance background. But the metric is, let's say it's 10,000 square feet at 6 bucks a foot and you do a three-year deal, um, you know, $180,000, and you do a 3% commission fee, you can do the quick math to figure out, okay, I'm making this up at the $5,000 commission fee times 20 deals, right? That's easy math. 
that's good money. Yeah. In the in yeah. the in your in you're the client and you're doing those transactions, um, from you and you're able. To, I guess my point is you're able to leverage the the NAI network, right? So that's a competitive advantage for us is to go out there to that again under call it 25 to 500 lease location mid cap small cap company show them the dots on the map show them the capability of how it works they need that they all need that and so the metric we use is we're going to save and we guarantee that we're going to save them at least 20 percent off their real estate spend now out of the 20 percent we all know that's tough in a, a, a growth economy like we've been in but how we get to that number simon is for example in southern california where rental rates are literally going up 50%, 30%, and our clients, of course, have a budget for that, our initial proposal from a landlord will be a 30% increase. We get them down to 15%, right? So that's 15% savings. That's how we come up with that. Another thing mm-hmm. is a lot of those clients, because they're unsophisticated, a lot of them have security deposits hanging out there. So run the numbers on if you have a $5,000 you know, first month's rent security deposit across 100 locations, that's a lot of money hanging out there doing nothing for that company. And so mm-hmm. what we're able to do as we work through their portfolio is we get at least 80% of those security deposits returned. So if that client's wow. been in that location, they've paid their rent consistently, that landlord will give them back their security deposits as part of the renewal deal. And so that's significant. That's an influx of cash that they didn't expect. So it's just <clears throat> those types of, <clears throat> excuse me, ideas and outside of the box thinking that because we've been doing this for you know 15 years at NAI we have wonderful relationships at the local offices and we've been able to learn this and so that's the type of thing that that is a no-brainer to a local office right or a, a, a company and the biggest thing is there's no cost to them I know a lot of them who haven't had experience with brokerage and again if you go back to the 910 rule they've had a bad experience um, you know they hear no cost and they're like yeah sure where is it? It's hidden. And that goes back to that transparency thing, right? So generally speaking, 80% of that client's portfolio, you're going to have a listing broker or that landlord has understands the brokerage process. Now there's, you know, 15 to 20% where it's a one-off landlord and they don't. And sometimes, Simon, we, we do a deal and we don't get paid. Not very often, but we absolutely do it in order to gain the client's trust in business. Mm-hmm. And you may already have that relationship where it's, you're you're in the middle of doing transactions for them, and it may come up on one deal. So that's you right. Know, you, you, again, you got to do what's best for for the client as a as a whole versus not an individual, not looking at it from a transactional standpoint. That's right. You, you brought up a great point in regards to looking at kind of some of these these lease renewals and and different ways that you can help save money for the client because ultimately that's what they're 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 looking to hire you for is be besides being able to help kind of review leases you're taking it one step further from what i hear and kind of diving into hey let's let's see how we can beef up your balance sheet or your fi- you know make your financial statements look look better and here's a way by renewals and renegotiating or trying to get back your, your deposit, which is a huge win. And, and I'm sure clients are very appreciative that you're kind of taking a deeper perspective right. or, or going deeper with that relationship. Right. Yeah. 
so Joe, I mean, well, let me let me shift gears here a second. And this is all great stuff because I think the audience and people that are listening are wondering, all right, you know, how do we how do we get into the the business? Kind of what your background was and how you're kind of doing some of your day to day operations. But talking about kind of involvement in industry events, are there certain things that that you and Brett and the group are are involved with industry-wise? It's, it's another great question. Um, you know, we to be candid, we could do a better job uh, of that. Like anything, it's all it's all time, right? We we only have so much time. So um, we attend what's called IMC. We partner with NAI Global for that. Um, Jill Shonsky and Cliff Moskowitz uh, understand and are a proponent of certainly branding ourselves. We are as well, and um, IAMC, which is the Industrial Asset Management Council, it's a um, unique conference in the sense that, Simon, there's Cornet Global out there, which is – IAMC is kind of the opposite of Cornet Global. Cornet Global, I used to be a member. All the big three go there. That's kind of their show, um, which is fine. We parachute in there sometimes and, and can get under the radar and, and, and really have a, a, a wonderful impact, but IAMC is more of an intimate, smaller group, um, they've set it up where you can literally interact consistently with the decision makers, which is, is pretty powerful or can be powerful. So that's one. Um, the other one, of course, is the NAI Global Conference. We're big proponents of that. It's a wonderful opportunity to meet your comrades in arms, and um, especially since every transaction we do, we're interacting with those brokers. It's a, it's a one, wonderful time to meet up with them and, and say thanks for uh, the opportunity and, and the good effort. So those are the two primary ones. We sometimes will sprinkle different ones in and out. Like I mentioned, Coronet, we attended that last year, again, more under the radar and in partnership with NA Global, um, which was a benefit. Um, and we constantly evaluate that. I know some of our folks from our Chicago office, they attend a, a RELA conference, which is retail logistics conference. There's some other folks that do an office conference. So, um, we're trying to constantly evaluate that, but those are the two primary we we've been attending. No, that's great, and 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 I, I like your you're you're not only involved in the NAI network, but you're also involved in these these outside industry. So you kind of do the best best of both. You you overlap your 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 relationships and the networking that you do, and. From a from a perspective of a of a of an outsider, again, our our audience listening, the the combination of being involved in some of these industry events, NAI Global, and then the the opportunity in the corporate service world. How do you how do you? Let me re-ask that. Why why should somebody join NAI Global? It's again. It's a it's a good question. I would just tell you why I did, because I know what my personal goals and objectives were, and and that may differ for other people. But for me personally, Simon, again, I go back to if I'm going to take the risk to be a broker, in all sense of that word. So 1099, I get no benefits. I get no 401k. If I'm going to take that risk, by golly, I'm not going to have anybody telling me what to do or how to do it, or fill out weekly TPS reports or what have, or get into my pocket 50% tax. So for me, NEI was the best of both worlds, again, because um, 
it is entrepreneurial. I can come to NAI, obviously, if I'm in a local office, you work with your local leadership there. But my guess is, and from my experience of having done this for 10 years at NAI and worked with a lot of different offices, they're very open to different ideas. They're very open to giving you the pasture and letting you run as opposed to caging you and you have to be this and you have to do it this way. And so for me, that's what I needed in in order to succeed. And certainly I stubbed my toe a couple of times, but um, Brett and I proactively, and again, coming from my background, just took my Rolodex. We started calling those same companies instead of being able to offer them, Hey, I can only build you this building. Now I can offer you this plethora of services. We have, 400 locations globally. We have 200 locations in North America. We're everywhere you want to be. We're everywhere you are currently and everywhere you want to grow. So speed the market, right, for the client. Speed mm-hmm. the market's huge right now. Flexibility is huge right now. Um, a lot of our clients, we say, well, our, we have contracts with the majority of them now, but when we started, we said, just give us a couple trial projects. You can cancel at any time. So you couldn't do those things at the big three. You can't go create your own uh, business model. You can't really, in my opinion, chase your dream is the way I call it. You can't chase your dream at the big three. I believe you can still chase your dream, and it allows you a platform to do that. Well, it gives you that that flexibility to to really run – run the show the way you want to, as you mentioned kind of earlier in 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 our discussion, is that there's only so much time. So as being part of a, a global network, you hopefully can leverage your your local partners to help gain more time in your business. So exactly right. For sure for sure, yeah, it definitely it definitely kind of kind of gives you that upside that you need. So fun question, Joe. Secret sauce. I live by the motto of being persistent in this business. Do you have any specific work ethic or or secret sauce that 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 you follow within in your business? Again, great question. Um, everybody is looking for the magic bullet, as I call it. Um, there is no magic bullet, right? It goes back to nothing is easy if it's worth having. So it's literally just hard work. I think you hit the nail on the head with consistency. And let me elaborate on that. One of our clients, we literally had called on for five years, met with them twice, called on for five years, consistently followed up. Now, not every week, but consistently followed up with some sort of metric information, trend information, and now they're one of our biggest accounts. So you nailed it, and especially in the corporate solutions world as, as we've defined it here on this call, you know, the ramp-up time on a fast track is 18 months. I mean, certainly we've gone in and pitched business and literally a month later received a phone call for a deal. That's as good as it gets. That's not reality per se. Um, reality is about 18 months from the time you pitch and that's fast to you get a deal and you actually get paid. And so the five-year example I gave is that's fairly normal too, um, especially yeah, in the economy. That's very realistic. And so I think one thing I think people need to realize out there is we live in a society where it's instant gratification. And so people want to try dipping their toe in, pitching the corporate side, and they'll try it for maybe a month or two months, 
and nothing happens. And um, because the local generally, that when you go to pitch a local listing, generally speaking, you hear in the next 30 days whether you get it or not. And then if you get it, you could probably, depending on what kind of facility it is, if it's a retail office or, or flex or one-off industrial, you can probably see a check in six months, all in, from soup to nuts, six months. So ours is drastically different from that perspective. And I would tell you, too, um, one thing I was going to – I left out on the how can local firms better pitch corporate businesses. One thing we've experienced is that the local firms will go in and pitch business to a corporation that's headquartered in their backyard, and they're focused primarily on their local market. And what I think a lot of folks need to understand is that that local decision maker that's at that corporate office in that local – in our members' backyard – they have maybe 5%, and that's high, of their portfolio that they manage is, is there in that local market. The rest of it's spread throughout the world. And so if I'm a local broker and I'm pitching that local business in my local market, that guy, to him or to her, that decision maker, you're only touching 5% of what they have to deal with on a daily basis, right? So when we come into pitch, we don't focus on the local market. We focus on where we know it's a challenge. So right now, for example, Southern California is a challenge. Uh, India is a challenge. China is a challenge. Um, Western, Eastern Europe is a challenge. So South America has been a mess. Those are the things that we're focusing on and resonates instead of focusing on, hey, how can I help you with your corporate office? Yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're they, like you said, they're not worried about the home base. They're worried about the extension of their home base, which are all those markets you've just, just described. That's right. So let's, let's, let's continue on to some, again, as I call them, kind of fun questions for the audience and, and for you to, to kind of share with the, the audience. So you've just won $10 million, Joe. Tax-free, congratulations. Can I expect what product that check by the end of the week? <laughs> It'd be awesome. It's Thanks. already cleared. <laughs> I it's already cleared in your being on the podcast. <laughs> it's already cleared in the bank. So, based on your experience, what 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 product type do you purchase? What do you where where do you see yourself investing that time? Yeah. Um, so you've probably heard me say a lot of what we do is industrial. I'd say about eighty eighty five percent of the corporate business we have have is industrial. Um, certainly much more familiar with that. I've really done industrial and office my whole career. Um, no offense to the office folks, but office friends generally, from my experience, haven't appreciated that much. In fact, they're contracting um, office spaces, not necessarily rents, but office spaces. And, that, of course, outside your core markets, that's what I'm experiencing. So industrial is growing. Um, I like industrial, and I alluded to this also earlier that I'm not that smart. So industrial is pretty straightforward and easy. It's triple net rents. Um, you can get a single tenant. You can get a multi-tenant. Generally speaking, those folks are not relocating a lot, um, depending on the, the space they have. So that'd be my preference. Now, I, I also caveat that by this is one of the most unprecedented industrial markets we've ever I've ever seen in my career. I mean, when you're talking Southern California industrial Class A tenant or Grade A tenant with a Class A industrial space and cap rates are you know sub five and maybe even sub four, that's kind of craziness to me. Um, yeah. I can appreciate it because you have so many 
so much foreign money chasing that asset, and they're not making anything. In fact, they're probably making negative on their money there. So to make, you know, three or four percent and have an asset to them's a win. Um, but to me, that's just not where I'd want to place my money. So long term, it would be industrial. I would tell you today, if I had ten million dollars, I'd have to be, I'd probably miss on a lot of deals because I'm not willing to pay to chase that chase that deal. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Sure. It's a very hot market as, as, as you kind of alluded to, and especially in the industrial world. Right. So who, who is, who is the most famous person you've ever met? (laughs) So I've traveled my entire career, both on the developer side and certainly brokerage side. I've had the chance to meet a lot of famous people. And I always tell everybody, including my wife, you know, the president could probably walk and hit me in the face and I wouldn't recognize him other than there's an entourage around him, right? And certainly that hair that Trump has, I mean, I'm so jealous of that hair, but I probably recognize him because of that. Everybody else, I'm not sure. Um, but there is a funny one. I was flying from Atlanta to Indianapolis and I was, had gotten bumped to first class and next to me was Dominique Wilkins. And you know, pretty obvious, pretty obvious from his stature. I grew up watching Dominic Wilkins. Simon, I can't remember how old you are, but it was the Larry Birds, the Kevin McHale's, Dominic Wilkins, Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. You know, um, Magic Johnson. You know, all of those guys. And and I remember Dominic winning the slam dunk contest multiple times. So of course, I I'm not shy when I'm in those situations, and I ask him a number of questions. And boy, literally, I asked only ask him like three questions, and for the two hour flight. He literally told me the ins and outs of the NBA, the bad and good. He told me the bad and good about a number of different players that I won't repeat on this phone. I was just blown away. But the biggest surprise he told me probably, because none of that stuff really surprises us, the biggest thing he told me is he hates to fly. And we had some turbulence, and I saw this massive man who was an all-star NBA player grab on, almost grab my hand, grab the armrest (laughs) because he was so nervous. And so – that was probably my most memorable just because he was – and it was probably because he was nervous. He was so chatty, but he literally yeah. told me stuff that you wouldn't think that guy would tell you. So that was fun. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And on, and on the flip side, who, who, you, who would you like to meet? I'll tell you, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate my faith and, you know, family. So I would tell you. Jesus, Pete, I can't imagine meeting Jesus when he walked on the earth. Um, and when he comes back, that would be probably the, the pinnacle of my uh, my human existence. That's awesome. Okay. And, and, and where is one place you'd like to visit? You know, I think um, I've heard so many wonderful things about Greece and, and Spain. My um, friends have been there. My wife is actually a daughter heading there, of course, not taking me soon. So maybe I'll live vicariously through them, but I think that would um, – I've just heard wonderful things, and the pictures kind of seem to suit me. You know, Simon, that turquoise water against the white, bleach-white, you know, houses and the beaches seems like a pretty good fit. Nice. So you've, you've, painted, the, you've painted the picture very well, and, 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 and hopefully you get there and, and enjoy, enjoy to spend more time with the family because ultimately at the end of the day – we do all this just to try to yeah right to, <laughs> to exactly have more right. time with them. 
Um, well, this is this is great stuff, Joe. And and unfortunately, we're out of time. But I'd like to say thank you today for for being our guest speaker. Is there is there anything that information or contact info you'd like to share with the audience here today? Yeah, I mean, if they go to the NAI Global website, I think there's a wealth of information there for all of us um, that we can we can leverage. Type in J-O-E, Joe, last name H-O-W-E-L-L. My contact information will pop up. If anybody has any questions about anything we've talked about today or just fun questions in general, I'm, I'm at your service. Well, great, Joe. And again, appreciate you taking the time. This was very informative, to the point, and and, and I think that our listeners will, will get a lot out of it, and I think there's a lot of potential follow-up for them to think about how they can develop and grow their business. So thank you, Joe. Simon, yeah, I really appreciate the time and the opportunity. If you would like to find out more information about becoming a new NAI office, please feel free to email us at help at naiglobal.com or feel free to call us at 609-945-4047. Thank you for listening.